You're listening to the Word of Life AG Podcast. This is the message from this week's service. If you want to view the full service, including worship, please head to our website at wordoflifeag.org. While there, you can also see what's coming up at the church, or even check out some next steps. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Good morning, everyone. If, you're, if this is your first time with us, I just want to give you a special welcome. If you're joining us online, glad you're here. Um, so how was it? Worship was amazing. That was like fire today, wasn't it? It was so good. Yeah, we can clap. We can do better than that, right? <laughs> um, I think Luke was away this week at like a pastor's retreat thing playing worship. And I think he got fired up over there. What do you think? It was so good. He's preaching my message before I'm preaching it. I love it. More of that. Well, um, so we've been in a series, Mission, Vision, Culture, for a few weeks. Um, If you weren't here this time last year, we do this every year as we get back into the swing of things in fall. And um, Tom and myself, we really pray over what we feel like God wants to do at Word of Life. And um, this year, we really wanted to f- want to focus on continuing what Jesus started. So the first week of our Mission Vision Culture series, we talked about continuing what Jesus started. And then we went on the next week to talk about embrace the essentials. So these are core values of Word of Life. And embrace the essentials means to be in your Bible, praying, seek the Holy Spirit, and see what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. The next week we talked about commit to stretch. Commit to stretch means just what it says. It's hard work, right? It's committing to do the hard things, committing to grow in your relationship with God, looking for the areas in your life that God wants to um, challenge you in and adjusting to those challenges. And then we talked last week about build the community and how at Word of Life we're going to build the community. We had a panel and it was really awesome. If you didn't have a chance to check it out, go back, check it out. Um, We had a group of people who had really great things to say about how to build the community. And we want to see more of that. We want to see people coming in our doors and not just sitting in pews, but looking for to build relationships with each other. People who take the initiative. People who um, stay after service to connect with people. People getting involved in the different areas of church life. And also going out into our community to build the community. So we talked about all of those things. If you missed any of the weeks, again, go jump online, check it out. You can go to our podcast or you can go to YouTube and, or our website and it will direct you right to those messages. But um, they're really important messages. They're really important for where we're going this year as a church. And then today we're going to be talking about how to live on mission. We believe at Word of Life that we are called to live on mission and that we are going to be a church of individuals 
that live on mission. So I want to go ahead and let's pray before we dive in. God, I just thank you so much, God, that you are such a good, good father. God, that you found us when we were lost and broken. God, that you have sought after us, that you have drawn us in, God. And as we begin to talk about what it is to live on mission, God, I pray right now, God, that each and every single person that is in here today, God, would leave feeling excited and inspired and ready to, to be on mission, to um, take that next level of being on mission this morning, God, that none of us would walk out of this room unchanged, God, God, that we would commit to stretch this morning as we um, go through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, um, you know, I was thinking this week and uh, about creation, right? I was thinking about how Jesus created, or God, sorry, God created all of these things. And what did he do? He created people. He created people because he wanted to be in relationship with people. And when he was in relationship with people, all, we had sin that entered in, right? Adam and Eve are created, and then sin comes in, and it gets in the way. So once sin entered and separated humanity from God, the world has been broken and in need of restoration ever since, right? We've been in need of restoration ever since. Jesus was the answer to that mission, the mission of God to restore what was broken, the answer to that was Jesus. Jesus' mission was to make a way for restoration, to heal the broken and to save the lost. God's mission to restore humanity is Jesus. His mission is to restore humanity through Jesus. That was God's mission. When I was writing that down, I originally put God's mission to restore humanity was Jesus. And I caught myself because sometimes we can look at how Jesus died on the cross and we can see it as past tense. We can see that he came and he died for our sins and that he came to restore us, but he is still restoring humanity. He is still restoring us and he will continue to restore us until every single person is restored back to the relationship with God because that is the mission. Jesus' ministry was fulfilling that mission. We see Jesus' ministry and we look at that and his time here on earth was all about setting up and fulfilling that mission. When Jesus begins his mission, he ends up speaking from Isaiah. And the interesting thing is he comes back and he's been fasting and he has been praying for 40 days and 40 nights, right? And he comes down and he goes into a synagogue and he goes to speak and he's handed the scroll and he goes to speak from the book of Isaiah. And this is what he, he speaks this is what he recites. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And when he speaks that, he is fulfilling prophecy. In fact, a couple of scriptures down, he says, That's me. I came to fulfill this. That is me. Jesus was the answer to their brokenness. He came to earth to share the good news. 
that he was the answer, the solution to brokenness. And good news, he is still the answer and the solution to brokenness, to our brokenness. In Luke it says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus came for those who were lost. He met people where they were at, when they were most broken and lost. It didn't matter how broken they were. He went to those people. Jesus cared about people who were lost and hurting, and he drew them to himself because he was the answer to their brokenness. He knew he was the answer. He knew he had a mission. And he looked and sought after those who were broken and those who knew that they needed saving. His mission was those who were lost and hurting. His mission was fueled by his love for people, his desire to see the lost found, those are who are hurting made whole. It didn't matter whether it was pain and suffer, suffering that was inflicted upon someone or whether it was self-inflicted. We see examples, examples of people who were inflicted to no fault of their own. The blind, the paralytic, the woman with the issue of bleeding, and several more people in the Bible. And we also see those who had what we could call self-inflicted pain and suffering. And those people are the woman at the well, the tax collectors, and many others that we see. Whether it was self-inflicted or of no fault of their own, they were still lost and broken. It didn't matter. It doesn't matter where you're at today. It doesn't matter whether your brokenness you feel is your own fault or whether you've walked into here today broken because of life's circumstances. Jesus is still pursuing you. When Jesus was found sitting with Matthew and the other tax collectors, the Pharisees scolded Jesus. And this is what Jesus responds. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. He came for those who knew that they were broken. He came for those who didn't have it all together. That is each and every single one of us. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. He came for those in need of a Savior. And his disciples were included in this. They knew that they needed a Savior. They knew that they needed Jesus. He gathered the disciples and they recognized their need for him. The disciples, they wanted to be with Jesus. They wanted to be a part of what Jesus was doing. They'd seen Jesus' work in them, and they wanted to be a part of it. And Jesus involved them in his mission. In Matthew, it says, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. I love that part. Give as freely as you received. That implies that they had received something. That they knew what it was like to be lost. They knew what it was like to be sick. They knew what that was like. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. 
You've watched me minister to people over and over and over again and go and do likewise like I have. We live on mission when we continue what Jesus started. Following Jesus still means joining his mission. It still means that. We live on mission when we continue what Jesus started. Continuing what Jesus started is how we live on mission. Here are just a few things for us to consider. God's mission is the world. Knowing God's mission is the world is key to continuing what Jesus started. We needed to know that his mission is each and every single individual. John says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. He came to save every single individual. He wanted to restore that relationship with people so much that he sent his own son to make a way. And it says he didn't come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world. His mission was to save the world, to save each individual. So when I was about 18 or 19 years old, I read this book. And I will say it probably, it changed my life at that age. Um, and it's called Eternity in Their Hearts. And I've got a picture of it. If you haven't had a chance to read it, maybe some of you have. It's by um, Don Richardson. It's a great book, uh, and it will really inspire you. But there's an account that Richardson tells, and this account can actually be found in historical documents. So I just want to tell you about this account. See, it takes place in Athens in the 6th century before Jesus, so before Jesus came. Athens at that time was experiencing a plague, and many gods they served many gods. And they were actually known as the god capital of the world at that time. It was too many gods for them to count and even keep track of. They had a hard time keeping track of all of these gods. But they believed that this plague meant that one of the gods was unhappy. The plague that they were um, enduring was due to something that they had done to make one of the gods unhappy. So they go on this mission to try to appease the gods, and it fails. So they bring in this consultant from Cyprus, and this consultant from Cyprus, he comes in and he investigates, looks around, and he says, I don't see anything that you've done to upset any of these gods. You have not upset any of these gods. So... He said, and so he starts to talk and he says, you know what, I think that you have um, upset an unknown God. There's an unknown God that you have upset. So he sets up this plan to find out. So he has all of these sheep and sheep of various colors and he starves them. They starve these sheep. And he says, you know what, we're going to release these sheep into a grassy pasture. And when we release the sheep into these pasture, they're all going to eat because they're starving. But if they don't eat and they lay down, it's because of this unknown God. And 
so they go ahead and they release all these sheep. And sure enough, a whole bunch of them just lay down. So they go and they build altars where every single one of these sheep has laid down. And they sacrifice those sheep. When they sacrifice those sheep, the plague is lifted. They sacrifice those sheep to an unknown God. And the plague was lifted off of Athens. So that brings us to Acts 17. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they've been traveling to different places in Greece, telling the Jewish people about what Jesus has done. They're gaining some followers, but they've also made a lot of Jewish people unhappy. And in those travels, Paul gets separated from Silas and Timothy. So he goes to wait for them in Athens. And Paul begins debating with these philosophers. He's debating with them and talking about Jesus and what Jesus has done. And he finds himself in front of the council who wants to know more. They're saying, you have some crazy ideas, but can you tell us more? So in Acts, it says this. It says, so Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in a man-made temples. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nation to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead goes on and he tells this story how crazy that must have been right for these athenians who would have known this story who would have known about this unknown god would have known the story of how the unknown god came to be the idol to this god and paul comes in and he begins to tell them who this unknown God is. He's no longer unknown because Paul tells them who he is. He goes on to tell them that none of the rest of your gods will do what my God can do. That there's only one way to heaven. And that one way to heaven is through Jesus who died. Right? Jesus is the only way to heaven and the only one that can forgive people of their sins, not any of their idols. See, God has placed eternity in everyone's hearts. 
In Ecclesiastes, it says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Everyone is searching for God because God planted it in us. When we search for God, we will find him just like the Athenians. The Athenians couldn't see the whole picture, right? They didn't see the whole picture. They just knew that this unknown God had answered their prayers, that he saved them. But whether people know it or not, God has designed people to search for something eternal, something greater than themselves, something greater and bigger than this world. Christopher Wright says, part of the mission of God's people is to have God so much at the center of who they are and what they do that there is centripetal force, God's own gravitational pull that draws people into the sphere of his blessing. God uses us to draw people to himself, just like he used Paul. He used people just like he used that consultant to draw people to himself. When God is in so much of who we are, that will draw people to him because he has placed eternity in everyone's hearts. If we allow to God to be so much a part of who we are, people will be drawn to him. Less of us and more of him, right? God wants to use us. He wants us to be full of him, that people are drawn to us through him, right? That because of that, because of God being in so much of us, people are drawn to that. They're not drawn to us. They're drawn to him. So God's mission is the world, and our mission is God's mission. Knowing that our mission is God's mission is essential to continuing what Jesus started. We need to know that his mission is ours. Our personal mission is to reach those that have been placed in our sphere of influence. Who are those people around you? Where has God placed you? We can't reach people if we aren't living out life in the way that points to God. If he is not so much of who we are. John Stott says, it may be said without fear of contradiction that the greatest hindrance to evangelism in the world today is the failure of the church to supply evidence in her own life and work of the saving power of God. Rightly may we pray for ourselves that we may have God's blessing and mercy and the light of his countenance. Not that we may then monopolize his grace and bask in the sunshine of his favor, but that others may see in us his blessing and his beauty and be drawn to him through us. It is the work that the Holy Spirit does in you and me and the evidence of that work in us that speaks to people. It is through the Holy Spirit transforming our lives and us living a transformed life that shows people that we are different, that the Holy Spirit is working in us. There's something eternal about that. Living on mission is living a transformed life, looking to grow in our faith so that God can be glorified through our lives. This is what it looks like to be a true disciple of Jesus. It's living a transformed life. And we continue to transform, right? We don't stay the same. 
Not only do we need to live a transformed life, but we are also called then to make disciples. It's that action part. Jesus' final command before the resurrection is this. Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This command is for all disciples, not just some. If you would call yourself a disciple of Christ or a follower of Christ, then this is you. Go out, make disciples, teach them what I have taught you. Tell them about what I've done for you. His promise then is, I will be with you. That you're not going to do it alone. You don't have to do this on your own. And John, it says, but I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. See, he's talking to the disciples. And the disciples have had Jesus with them physically. But we have the Holy Spirit with us daily to go with us and before us. The Holy Spirit changes lives. And God uses us to point people to Jesus and let the Holy Spirit be the advocate. We let the Holy Spirit do the work. We don't need to do the saving. He does the saving. In the book of Acts, we see that people took the role of disciple-making seriously. And this is how the church was built. The church wasn't built on some, but it was built on many. It was built on disciples making disciples. In Acts, it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and a prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the good will of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved because they joined the mission. They were on mission. More people came in. More people were getting saved because they weren't keeping it to themselves. They were being transformed and they couldn't help it but share that with others and bring others in. And then the Holy Spirit worked in those people. The church was built on disciples making disciples. The church is filled with disciples and disciple makers. Chris Wright says it is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in, this, in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. We are not here for ourselves. We are here for his mission. The church exists for the mission. Word of life exists for the mission. 
As a church, we are called to build into others, each and every single one of us. It doesn't matter whether you've been following Jesus for decades or following Jesus for a day. We are all called to be disciple makers. The church is meant to exist for the purpose of reaching others. The church didn't mean just the apostles then. The church didn't make up just the apostles and the apostles went and did all the work. Just like the church isn't made up of the staff here at Word of Life and we go and do all the work. It's all of us collectively working together for the mission. God's mission is the world, and our mission is God's mission. And the good news is you are equipped for the mission. You are equipped. We can continue what Jesus started when we know we are equipped to do so. In Acts it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, through Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of of the earth if you are filled with the holy spirit then the holy spirit will do the equipping we are equipped to share the gospel to see lives transformed to see the lost found and the broken restored we have been talking about this in our core values and i truly believe that if we are embracing the essentials it will prepare us for the mission so read your Bible, pray, ask the Holy Spirit to fill you up and to lead you. Don't go a day without asking the Holy Spirit to lead you throughout the day and reading your Bible and praying. Embrace the essentials. Committing to stretch will help you achieve the mission. Do the hard things. Look for ways to grow. Ask the Holy Spirit what areas you need to grow in. Don't avoid correction from the Holy Spirit. We need to look for ways that we can grow. Do not avoid stretching. We are asked to stretch. We're asked to grow. Building the community will happen when we live on mission. It will just happen naturally. Because when we build into others and when we disciple others, we will naturally build the community. When we invite our neighbors, friends, and co-workers to do life with us, we will build the community. Disciple-making builds the community, just like it did in the early church. When we are on mission, we will build the community. And greater than that is that we are bringing people in to the family of God. So, why does God's mission concern me? Why should God's mission be my mission? Because God's mission was you. God's mission was me. In order to continue what Jesus started, we must remember that God's mission was me. It has always been you. Each and every single one of you in the room, each and every single one of you joining us online or later in the week, it has always been you. We need to remember that feeling of when we were found, when we felt seen and loved by the God of the universe. 
We should remember what it was like to receive a grace we did not deserve and that we continue to receive undeservingly. We were all searching, each and every single one of us, for our purpose before we met Jesus and surrendered our lives to him. We remember that emptiness. Remember that. We should want others to come to know the same hope, the same love, and the same God. There are so many people in our community and in your area of influence that feel just as lost as you once were. And that should break our hearts and it should move us to action. To have the answer, to know the hope that people are looking for and to withhold it from them. It's selfish. It's selfish. And I know that it's more than that. I know that there's a fear involved in that. I know that we worry about how people are gonna receive what we have to say and what we have to share. But to withhold it from them, we're withholding the answer. God has placed you where you are at for a purpose. God uses each and every single one of us, and he's been doing it since the beginning. He's been using people. From the beginning, when the fall happened, when, there, when sin entered the world, he began sending people to bring the good news, to tell them about this God who loves them and cares about them. He sent Noah, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Esther, Moses, prophets and kings and many others all because of his desire to restore the broken relationships with his people god sent his own son jesus to make a way for everyone for you for each and every single one of you he hasn't stopped using people he continues to use people to restore the brokenness in the world to draw people to himself you hold the answer god wants to use you because we know what it was like to be lost we know what it was like to be broken we know what it is like to live an empty life to keep coming up short to keep searching everywhere because we have eternity in our hearts, to search everywhere else and to keep coming up short and more empty. Remember that. I want each and every single one of you in here today to think about that. Think about that moment when everything changed. Think about the people that were placed in your path along the way. Think about those people. Because God is using us. We feel most fulfilled when we are living for God and serving his mission. We will feel most fulfilled when we are living for God and serving his mission. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. We can't do the saving, but we can tell others about how Jesus has changed our lives and know he will change theirs too. We can point people to Jesus. 
God will not ask you to do anything that he will not empower you to do. If you find it hard or difficult or challenging, that's okay. It's not up to you. You just have to be obedient. God will do the rest. The Holy Spirit will do the rest. If we understand that continuing what Jesus started is knowing that God's mission is the world and that God's mission is my world and that we are equipped for the mission and that God's mission was me, that God's mission was you, then we can't help but live on mission. It will lead us to action. Word of Life is a church on mission, and it's only going to become more and more about the mission. This means that we will be focused on the mission, which means we will not go, we will let go of personal preferences so that we can reach those who are lost. We're not going to care about the small things. We're going to let those things go. Things that aren't building towards the kingdom of God, we're just going to let them go. That means that when we see things that may be uncomfortable for us, we see kids running around and playing and being loud, we're going to say, that's awesome. Look at all of these kids in here today. Isn't that amazing? Look at them all building community. Look at them all playing games together. Awesome. It means when I walk in and my pew seat is taken, I'm going to say, awesome. That means a new person is here. That means a new person has come in. And when we walk through the parking lot, we're not just gonna walk into church, we're gonna look for those around us and we're gonna say hello. And we're gonna come into the lobby and we're gonna say hello to people. We're gonna inconvenience ourselves because of the mission. Word of Life is a church on mission. We will be present in our community, individually and collectively as a church. If you're looking to and be involved in outreach, and that's something that interests you, we have a small group for it. Kyle Cavell and Jen Cavell's group happens on every other Thursday. Go on our website, join the group. It's a great opportunity. And we're gonna look Word of Life is going to look to disciple others, to build people up, to look to point people to Jesus. Together and individually, we are going to point people to Jesus. Word of Life is going to be known for that. So if that's you and you're interested in how to make disciples, then join Tom and my small group on Wednesday nights. It's a great place to jump in. We're talking about disciple making. It will lead to life transformation in us when we live on mission and transformation in others. Our church is going to be filled with people who are hungry to learn about who Jesus is. Our church will be filled with people growing in their faith. Our church will be a true community unified in what really matters, the mission of Jesus to seek and save the lost. We live on mission when we continue what Jesus started. Living on mission requires each and every single one of us to be passionate about those who are lost. Continuing what Jesus started, it continues with you. 
every single one of you. It continues with you. It's going to require all of us. I know that all of us, we see the world. We see what's going on in the world. We see the lost and brokenness in the world. And it's so easy to step back and even judge people for the decisions that they're making. It's easy for us to get wrapped up in that. But can I ask a question? Why do we expect people who don't know Jesus to not be sinners? We have to stop judging people. We've got to start loving them. Loving, when we love people, we go from a different angle. When we judge people and we go in from that angle, it doesn't work very well. People need to know that we love them and we care for them. We need our hearts to be a little bit more broken for people. We need to stop being so angry with people. We need to love people more. People will care about the answer that we have unless we love them and we care about them. Disciple making is an investment in people. It means walking alongside of them as they fail and helping them get back up. It means rejoicing on every single little next step that they make. But it's because of our love for each other and our love for others, that is what is going to draw people in. And as we become closer and closer to God, His love, it wears off on us. The love that He has for people, suddenly your heart just starts breaking for those people around you because His heart breaks. The Father's heart breaks for people who don't know Him. Church, we have to start being disciple makers. We have to start caring more. Each and every single one of us, it takes all of us. Our community needs to know God. So where do we start? Where are some places that we can start? The first thing is make church a priority. This is where you're gonna be equipped. When you make church a priority and you come to church every week and you make that uh, your top priority, you're going to be equipped. And not only are you gonna be equipped, but you're gonna be encouraged in being on the mission. The second thing is immerse yourself in the community. Get involved, help build the community. Don't just walk in and walk out. 
jump on teams, jump in life groups. We have so many different areas for you to be a part of the community, to be built up and to be encouraged by being in the community. And then you get to encourage others in the community. We get to work together to encourage one another. Third thing is identify those who are already in your sphere of influence and build relationships. Because I'm not in your neighborhood. I don't work where you work. I am not involved in the activities that you are. God has placed you in those places to show people him, to show them the way, to show them Jesus, to show them his love. He has placed you there to care and love for people and to share the hope you have with them. You are there for a reason. The last thing is to disciple, to teach people what you know, to tell them about what God has done for you. Do life with people. Bring them along. Let them be a part of your life. And then there's another thing too. Read the book Multiply by Francis Chan. I'm going to throw it up here, but this book is great. It's a great way to get started on discipling. It's also what we're doing in our small group on Wednesdays. You can jump in our small group or just grab the book and read it. But this is going to help equip you to disciple people. Church, we have a mission. If we're going to continue what Jesus started, then we have to live on mission. If we are going to be the church that God has called us to be, then we need to be on mission. There are people in our community, look, there are seats all around us that are not filled. There are places for people. There are seats for people. So I'm going to ask you to join me in that. I'm going to ask you to not leave out of here today and it just be another message, but to really take it on and ask God to break your heart for people, to help build love in you, to build confidence in you, to help you walk it out. And I can't wait to hear the stories when we do that. So why don't we stand? I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to go back into worship. If you're in here today and you would say, I have not been living on mission, but today I want to. Or maybe I've forgotten what it was like to be lost. And now that I remember, I have this fire in me to go out and share it with others. If that would be you, well, everybody's heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you just raise your hand up, I'd like to pray with you this morning. If you desire to go on mission, then I'm gonna be praying with you this morning. I think there's a lot of us in here today that want to live on mission. So let's go ahead and pray. God, I just thank you for every single one of these individuals in here, those who've joined us online. And God, I just pray right now, God, that they would just walk out your mission, God. God, please don't let us leave here and forget that there are people lost and broken. And God, that you want to use us. 
God, I pray for every single person in here that has raised their hand, God, that they would feel commissioned today to go out and to share the gospel, to build disciples, to be on mission. And I pray that as people step up today, God, that we are going to be a church that is on mission, that we will see incredible things that you do through us, that the Holy Spirit is just going to work within us so much that, God, that we just start to see people coming to you from everywhere. God, that the stories just flood in about how you are working through your people. God, that we would be known as the church that is on mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go back into worship.